BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California's grim drought picture gets worse by the week. The latest numbers show that nearly 12% of the state is facing exceptional drought conditions. That's the most dire category from the U.S. Drought Monitor. Meanwhile, local water agencies are stepping up conservation efforts. Starting yesterday, sweeping outdoor water restrictions covering more than 6 million Southern Californians went into effect. The region's metropolitan water district is calling for a 35% reduction in water use in response to the state's drought conditions. Meanwhile, in Northern California, the drought has renewed debate about whether or not to build the Sites Reservoir, a massive reservoir project in the western Sacramento River Valley. To learn more about the potential and possible pitfalls of this project, we spoke with Ann Willis, a senior staff researcher at the Center for Watershed Sciences at UC Davis. All right, and so the Sites Reservoir idea has been kicking around in California since the 1950s, right? Since the Eisenhower era. It was abandoned in the 80s. Why did it never get off the ground? Well, the 80s was the time when a lot of reservoir projects were not getting off the ground. And one of the big things that was happening was that the environmental community had gotten really well organized back in the 70s. And once that happened, dams couldn't be built for single purposes anymore, like just water supply or just flood control. They all had to be built taking the environment and their environmental impact into consideration. Okay, fast forward to today. We're in the midst of a drought, third year of a drought. We may be even in a historic mega drought. Governor Newsom and other leaders, other stakeholders have thrown their weight behind the reservoir idea. Is there an argument that it's a necessity right now? There is an argument to be made that we need to reevaluate how we manage our water, but there's a less clear argument to be made that more storage is always the first solution. And this is where a lot of the controversy surrounding Sites Reservoir comes into play. Sites Reservoir has been designed to capture what's being called surplus flows coming out of the stormwater in the Sacramento River so that it can protect some of the storage in some of our larger reservoirs like Shasta. 
And by doing so, the argument is that we can then use that surplus water for things like Southern California water supply or Central Valley water supply, while protecting water that has bigger environmental benefit in our larger reservoirs. But when that question gets looked at in a little bit more detail, some cracks start to show themselves. For example, we already have almost 1,500 large reservoirs in California. So building any reservoir means that you're going to be building it in the 1,501st best place for a reservoir to be located. So that's already a challenge. Another challenge is that in 2021, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave California's dam infrastructure a C- minus for overall dam safety was really the big issue. So we already lack the funding to maintain the dams that we have. So when I say that there's an argument to be made for better water management, we can already make tremendous progress by just operating the dams we already have in a better way rather than building new ones. So your argument essentially is, hey, California, we have all the water infrastructure that we need right now. And it's a question of using that more effectively and more intelligently than building a new reservoir and new dams to contain water in that reservoir. Is, is that right? Do I have that right? That's close. I would say we have underutilized a lot of the water infrastructure that we already have. And one of the things I'm thinking of in particular is groundwater storage and floodplains. So again, the argument for sites reservoir is that it's going to store this stormwater runoff from the tributaries you know, below Shasta Dam. Well, a really great place to store stormwater is on floodplains and in the ground, in groundwater supplies. So there already is a lot of water infrastructure that may not be what we typically think of. You know, we may instead think of things like dams and other kinds of hard infrastructure. But when we expand our idea of infrastructure to include things like the natural infrastructure that we already have, there's a tremendous amount that's not being leveraged and would provide us with more benefit if we focus there first. Again, that's Ann Willis of the Center for Watershed Sciences at UC Davis. And staying on the topic of water scarcity, how do you respond to a drought when you live on an island? Well, residents of Catalina Island, about 29 miles off the coast of Southern California, hope they can parlay their ongoing success with desalination, the process of turning seawater into fresh water. Catalina opened its first desalination plant three decades ago. It was one of the first of its kind. Then in 2016, the island built a second desal plant. And today, both plants together provide about 230,000 gallons of water per day, and that's roughly 40% of the island's drinking water. Kelly Puente has been looking into drought response efforts on Catalina for the Long Beach Post and says there are now calls to add a third desalination plant on the island that would help supply over 50% of Catalina's drinking water. But the technology is still controversial, and a huge uh, project in Huntington Beach was just killed by the California Coastal Commission last month over environmental concerns, cost, energy consumption. And, but to compare the scale, Catalina is, is very small compared to what Huntington Beach was proposed. That was looking at 50 million gallons per day. 
The largest desalination plant in California and in the U.S. is in the San Diego County community of Carlsbad. It's been in operation since 2015. Desal plants are often criticized by environmentalists for their effects on marine life. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randal Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. California's Reparations Task Force released its first report yesterday. It's the country's first statewide body to consider reparations for black people harmed by the legacies of slavery and segregation. KQED's Lakshmi Sarah has more. The report by the task force, the first statewide body to approach reparations for black people, has preliminary recommendations including the establishment of an Office of African American slash Freedmen Affairs to address past and potential future harms and to assist people in filing eligibility claims. In March, the nine-member task force voted five to four in favor of lineage-based reparations at a contentious meeting. The more than 500-page report includes chapters on racial terror, environmental racism, housing segregation, unequal education, and the growing wealth gap. It also includes testimony from expert witnesses as well as personal stories from across the state. The task force will submit formal recommendations to the state legislature next summer. For the California Report, I'm Lakshmi Sarah. You can follow Lakshmi's tweet threads on the Reparations Task Force on Twitter at L-A-K-I-T-A-L-K-I. Plus, there's more KQED reparations coverage at kqed.org slash reparations. In other news, a bill that would allow San Francisco, Oakland, and Los Angeles to open safe consumption sites for people who use drugs has passed a key legislative committee. Similar sites in Vancouver and New York provide people with clean needles and medical supervision to help reverse overdoses. Opponents argue that these sites don't do enough to steer people towards treatment. But Los Angeles Assemblyman Miguel Santiago says the sites can be an opportunity. When somebody is at their lowest point in their life is when they look towards help. This may be the opportunity to find somebody at their lowest point and offer them that help. The proposal would allow local governments to create five-year pilot programs. The bill heads to the assembly floor for a vote. State officials are warning women seeking abortion services about potential misleading information offered by so-called crisis pregnancy centers. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has more. California Attorney General Rob Bonta has issued a consumer alert about these facilities. He says many crisis pregnancy centers advertise themselves as full-service reproductive health clinics, when that's not the case. One recent study found that none of the 179 crisis pregnancy centers in California offer, actually offer, 
abortion care. And only one of that 179 offers contraceptive care. That same study from the Alliance, an advocacy group for women's rights and gender equality, found that more than 60% of these clinics make false or biased medical claims, especially about abortion and pregnancy. With the future of Roe v. Wade in the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court, Bonta is urging Californians to make informed decisions if they are seeking out abortion services in the months ahead. He says if anyone feels they've been the victim of deceptive or misleading conduct, they should immediately file a complaint with the Attorney General's office. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. UCLA researchers analyzed the autopsies of people who died in L.A. County jails over a 10-year span. They found that more than half of the deaths classified as natural had evidence of physical harm on the bodies. KPCC's Emily Elena Dugdale has the details. The researchers looked at 59 autopsies out of nearly 300 jail deaths between 2009 and 2019. Terrence Keel with UCLA said they weren't able to look at all deaths because the rest of the autopsies were held back under security holds placed by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Keel said the autopsies they could get showed 26 deaths were classified as natural, despite more than half of the autopsies containing evidence of physical harm on the bodies. These are people who supposedly died of cardiac disease, flu, respiratory illness, but had evidence of hematomas, and bone fractures, and lacerations. Researchers also found Black people's deaths were disproportionately classified as natural compared to other races. For the California Report, I'm Emily Elena Dugdale. And finally, a man who was wrongfully convicted of murdering a gang member in the Los Angeles County city of Paramount has been released from prison after spending more than two decades behind bars. Alexander Torres was found guilty of second-degree murder back in 2001 and sentenced to 40 years to life in prison. But the L.A. County district attorney's office reviewed evidence in the case that ultimately led to Torres being exonerated. Here's L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon speaking at a news conference yesterday. We checked all the evidence and there was no reliable and credible evidence to support this conviction. In October, the judge vacated the sentence, but we felt very strongly, and I know our people in CIU did, um, that we needed to go beyond simply vacating a sentence because we came to the conclusion that Mrs. Torres was factually innocent. And being found factually innocent has further implications because that means that his record is completely clear. Torres expressed his gratitude. Today I'd like to thank the um, district attorney's office for um, looking into my case. I'd like to thank the California Innocence Project and anybody that had anything and anybody that got involved in offering any resource to get me home because it was a long time so... I'm happy I'm with my family today. The Innocence Project was founded in 1992 and works to both free the innocent and prevent wrongful convictions. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that is the California Report for Thursday, June 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.